Uh, I will be reading Psalm 27, which is of David. He became king, a shepherd boy who became king. He's done a lot of stuff, but listen to what draws him on, what his desire is. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me and my heart will not fear, though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy and I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me. God, my saviour, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not hand me over to the desires of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, shouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Well, thanks, Paul. And I must say, uh, thanks very much for having me up here uh, at Trinity Hills. It really is a delight to be with you and a great encouragement just to see another part of uh, what God is doing around Adelaide um, and, uh, and to meet so many of you, some of whom... I've known for many years, great to catch up with, but lots of uh, unfamiliar faces, so it's really encouraging to see uh, how God is at work here. Um, you'll see in the leaflet that there's a little outline for you. Those sentences, those headings are deliberately incomplete. You'll need to um, fill them in yourselves. Hopefully that helps us uh, to see where we're going. Um, but I want to ask a quick question before we get started. I'm looking out here and I'm seeing a few faces that uh, were at Redef Senior Strand just recently, so bear with me guys, you'll recognise this question. Uh, we had a great time away at Redef Youth Camp, um, if you missed it this year then plug in next year, it's a great time away. Um, I asked this question of Exodus, but it's just as helpful I think for Psalm 27 as we get stuck into it today. Can I ask you, what a Psalm 27 and the magazine aisle in your local supermarket have in common? What a Psalm 27 that we've just read together and the magazine aisle at the local supermarket share in common. Well, I think, as we'll see together here, 
they both challenge us to consider what absorbs us, what, what absorbs our attention, takes hold of our focus. I just think for a, me, a minute uh, of, of the magazine aisle in the local supermarket, you might want to picture yourself walking down there, uh, thinking the different covers that lie there before you, they kind of reflect so many of the different things that we get, we get caught up in. We find ourselves chasing after. Just, just picture them with me. There's, there's beautiful bodies and then beautiful homes and beautiful food, um, some cool gadgets, probably with beautiful bodies trying to sell you the cool gadgets and also fast cars. Um, there's fun holidays, fancy gardens, beautiful bodies because they always seem to be selling us just about anything these days. And, well, that's if you've even had time to get to the magazine aisle in between the other things that kind of consume our attention, running taxi for the kids or keeping up with the autumn leaves or following up on all the emails that seem to be piling up. There's no question that there are all kinds of things that absorb our attention. So another question for you then, perhaps digging a little bit deeper. Beneath, beneath those superficial kind of demands, another question, what is the great desire that lies at your core and drives the way you live? What's the great desire that lies at your core and drives the way you live? And we're going to see that in Psalm 27, God speaks to us really clearly about this, but in a way that is both a great encouragement and I think perhaps an unexpected challenge for us. As we get into God's Word, uh, let me pray that it would be God speaking to us, not just me in hot air and my thoughts, uh, so that we might listen with humility to what He has to say. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank You that You speak to us, the God of the universe, Creator of all, Lord of all. You are kind to make yourself known in your character and you are kind to make known to us how we might respond to you, what it is to live with you. Father, we pray that you would help us to listen with humility now to what you have to say to us through this wonderful psalm, these ancient words that speak so clearly to us today. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've just read a psalm, and you may or may not realise that psalms, well, they're songs. Uh, the tune that we're meant to sing with it, that's kind of been lost to the uh, pages of history, but we have the lyrics. Uh, and as a song, the psalms do some pretty cool things. In particular, they, they give us words to say to God. So in many ways, they, they're prayers. Yet at the same time, they are God's words spoken to us to shape our hearts, to, to shape the things that we are concerned about. But we get used to songs that are just full of froth and bubble, right? Uh, but Psalm 27 is nothing like that. And right from the outset, right from the opening lines of this song, King David, who's written it, gets deep pretty quickly. We might have... We might have even skipped over this quite, quite easily when we read through it just now, but um, please read it through with me again, keeping it either open in your Bibles or on the leaflet that you've got there, because David begins 
with these words in verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? And at one point, we might kind of think, okay, God, yep, He's light and salvation and stronghold. If we've been reading the Bible for very long, we probably recognise some of these terms and we think, this is pretty standard Bible talk for God is pretty cool. And it's kind of easy just to gloss over and move on. But David's doing something really quite challenging here. Something that we might feel a little uncomfortable with. Because as he describes God... He holds that in contrast with a great potential to fear. So let me just help us to hone in on that first. You see, we, we don't like to talk about fear very much, do we? It's kind of a bit depressing, a bit negative. But the sad reality about fear is that for many people, it is their fears that end up driving their lives. Um, as a gathering pastor in it, Trinity City, 7pm, I've already mentioned, I spent a lot of time working with young adults, many of them at university, uh, a lot of them finishing high school. And uh, I think there's one thing that students hold in common, uh, and that is a generalised fear of exams. Uh, for some of them, and you might be in this already, it's kind of that nagging fear that just picks you up somewhere in about halfway through grade 11, and it seems to stick with you uh, all the way through university. For others, you do a pretty good job of suppressing it, only for it to come and bite really hard in swap back when you can't suddenly realise that I'm supposed to be revising this, but this looks strangely new to me. Did I miss that lecture? But, kind of humorous side, I think for a bunch of these young adults that I work with, you see that as they approach the exams, their, their fear reflects that there's, there's a lot more than just a pass mark at stake here when it starts to feel like their sense of identity and worth is tied up in those exams. Now, you might not all be students or might have left those student days long behind you. You might still be looking forward now with some anxiety to exams. But I think we can all get how actually uh, fear can lurk in the dark corners of our hearts and drive many of the decisions we make and the priorities we have. Perhaps for you, uh, it may be uh, that the, the fear related to the prospect of unemployment in a tight job market. Perhaps as a parent, it's the fear that you won't be able to provide for your children uh, rightly, sufficiently, the way that I suppose we're supposed to provide for them. Maybe for you, it's fears about what others would think about you if they knew the real you. You see, I, we don't have to scratch very far below the surface to see how the world plays on our fears constantly. Um, you know, that magazine aisle, well, those covers are just a pretty thin veneer over the reality that they're trying to tap into our fears and insecurities that somehow you don't have what I'm offering. You're not strong enough, beautiful enough, rich enough, comfortable enough, exciting enough in some area of life or another. We don't like to talk about fear much. But if we're honest, it lurks 
just beneath the surface for so many of us in so much of life. And yet David begins this psalm saying that he has nothing to fear. His confidence doesn't, doesn't lie in his own character or his own capacity, but rather in God's capacity and character. And so he sets up this wonderful contrast between the God that he is confident in and the very real potential for fear. So this is a song, right? Psalm 27, it's a song, which means it's poetry, which means it is full of word pictures. I think it's helpful for us to unpack some of them together. Look at how he describes God in that verse that we just read again. Verse 1, the Lord is my light, my salvation, my stronghold. These are word pictures. What is light? Stating the obvious, right? Light is the opposite to darkness. Light is what enables us to see what would otherwise be unknown. Light is what helps us to truly see things as they are. And of course, so many of our fears are born of the unknown, the what if. The Lord is our light. With Him, we need not fear the unknown. David says, the Lord is his salvation. One of those great Bible jargon words that we can sort of go, salvation, hey, hang on, what's that really mean? This is, this is a word picture for rescue, for someone in desperate need of help who, who needs rescue. And David says, the Lord, he's my rescue, he is my help, he is, he is the one, well, if, if he allows me to see in the dark, the Lord is the one who also rescues me from the dark. And the Lord is his stronghold. That's a word picture for, think fortress, think castle that cannot be taken, think place of shelter, defence, security. And all of these three images, they all imply difficult times, don't they? David lives in the real world with difficult times and with difficult people and he actually turns our attention to that in the verses that follow. And he, gets, he keeps painting these word pictures that are really graphic depictions of the real difficulties that surround him. On the one hand, in verse 2, he describes the wicked that advance against him to devour him. We're meant to think... Sharp fangs, big teeth coming in to chomp him up. He's, he's using the imagery of wild animals hunting, surrounding him, looking for a meal. Then he shifts the image. At verse 3, though an army besiege me, an army setting up its siege works around a city, hemmed in on all sides. He's, he's grabbing images that would strike fear into any of us. And yet, David says, I don't need to fear. Now you might say, well, that's because this is King David, right? King David, this is King David who he killed lions and bears with his hands as a shepherd boy looking after his father's flock. This is King David who with his own sling took out uh, Goliath, the giant, maybe. Maybe that's why he's so confident. And yet, David makes it really clear that his confidence doesn't lie in his own capacity but in the Lord who is his light, his salvation, his stronghold. 
David lived in the real world with real hardship and genuine opposition. But he had real confidence. This isn't just some sort of empty platitude. I can be confident in the Lord. This is a real confidence in a real God in the face of real hardship. And so, seeing the confidence that he has in the Lord, David then shares his heart with us. The great longing, the core desire of David's heart, we see in verse 4. David has one request, one central desire in his life. Verse 4, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek. You see, David has shown how faith in the Lord casts out fear. And so so now he gives voice to the central desire that, that wells up in light of that. This knowledge of the Lord, this trust in the Lord that drives out fear, so he longs to live with the Lord. And you'll see again, he paints these wonderful word pictures in, in verse 4. How does he describe it? He, he wants to dwell in his house, to gaze upon his beauty, to seek the Lord in his temple. Now, I don't know what picture that brings to mind for you, even as we read it again together. It, it may be that you're thinking... Um, Well, I suppose this is David describing that he wants to hang out at the temple 24-7. He just wants to go to church all day, every day. Uh, And it starts to sound pretty, kind of, pretty hard to relate to the real world, pretty hard to relate to your life and mine. Uh, Let's be honest, hanging out here in the Allgate Memorial Hall 24-7 would be a little cold and pretty boring. But there's actually a small detail that helps correct our misconception. See, when David wrote, there was no temple. It was one of King David's great career ambitions to build a house for the Lord. He wanted to be the one that would build a bricks and mortar temple for God. God said, thanks for the offer. No, I'm going to build your house and actually it will be your son, Solomon, who will be the one that builds the bricks and mortar temple. In David's day, God's people met together in a, in a tent, a tabernacle. David never saw a physical temple. So clearly, I think, David's not talking about hanging out at a building. The image that he is painting is what that building would represent, what it would point forward to. And if we were to go and do the reading on what God says about his temple, the instructions for its building, its construction, its design, we would see that it points forward to God's heavenly throne room. It's like David saying, I long to live with the Lord and, and where do I long to be? I long to be where God's reign and rule is most evident, sitting at the foot of his throne where I know that he is in control over all things. That's where he longs to be. It's, a, it's an image of God's palace, as David longs to know the glory of the God who rules over all of the universe. I think there are, in these verses, from verse 4 through to 11, through to 10 rather, 
I think there are three key ways that David captures what it is to long to live with the Lord and that's the first one, to see, to see the rule and the glory of God, to delight in it. But then he moves on to show that this is actually a deeply relational thing. Uh, he longs to live with the Lord in a relationship with the Lord and that is not one, something that he can take for granted. Have a look in verse 7, he, he says, he appeals to God, hear my voice, be merciful to me and answer me. He, he spurs his heart on, you cannot take this for granted, you must seek the face of the Lord. He, he depends on the Lord. In verse 9 he says, don't hide your face from me. This is a relationship but it is one that is founded on God's mercy. And living with the Lord means depending upon His grace. And then thirdly, because David knows well, this is not a relationship that he's earned, that he can't take for granted, it is by God's grace, so he also knows it is a relationship he can depend on. Have a look at the, the heart of verse 10. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. What a massive claim. To have the assurance that even if those closest to him were to abandon him, he knows the steadfast love of the Lord, that, that the Lord God will not abandon him. And so in this song, David's kind of giving us a snapshot of three wonderful aspects of living with the Lord. It's knowing and delighting in His rule, it's depending on His grace, it's having the confidence of His steadfast love. And I think it's really helpful for us to, to see that coming through in this psalm because we know this even more completely if we know Jesus. David knew that living with God means delighting in His rule. Well, in Jesus, we have seen that rule demonstrated most profoundly as, as Jesus conquers even death as He rules over even, even the grave, the great fear. David knew God's mercy, but it's in Jesus' death on the cross that we see how God's mercy is made possible. David was confident in God's steadfast love, but in, in Jesus, we see the extent of His steadfast love that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That God sent His one and only Son, not to save people that really wanted to be His friends, but those who were His enemies. This is the steadfast love of God, as He made the great move toward us, in Jesus, that we might know our confidence in Him. And then, friends... As we work through this psalm, I hope this isn't just kind of a pep talk, confidence boosting. I hope it's actually challenging and shaping the way we live, the priorities that we have, because that's what we see David starting to express now in verse 11. David turns his attention from saying, I am confident in the Lord, so I want to live with the Lord. Now he says, as one who lives with the Lord... Verse 11, I long to walk with the Lord, 
Teach me your way, Lord, he prays. Lead me in a straight path. See, here David's using yet another word picture. The, the picture of being guided down the right path. But when the Bible uses the image of God's ways and being taught his, the right path, it's, it's less to do with the big forks in the road moment. Do I choose this or that, option A or option B? And more about a desire to keep our feet on the path. To not be distracted looking to the right or to the left, to slip and fall, but rather to keep walking with God in His ways. And that that will certainly, you know, inform many of the, the forks in the road decisions that we make. But it's not waiting for them, it's at every step, all the time, seeking to walk with God. And at this point, with that word picture in mind, I think we start to see where some of the challenge lies for us. Because I want to ask you another question that picks up on those earlier on. What shapes your idea of the right path? Because I think it's pretty closely linked to the things we fear and the things we put our confidence in. Let let me help you see what I mean. Um, If you fear discomfort then your idea of the right path will be the one that you think will lead to health and wealth and prosperity. Uh, If you fear rejection, then your idea of the right path will be the one that you hope will lead to acceptance and popularity. If you fear failure, then your idea of the right path will be the one that you think is most likely to lead to success, whether as, as a student, as a parent, at work, wherever it might be. But if you know, like David, that you need not fear any of these because your confidence lies in the Lord, then that frees you. It frees you to reshape your priorities as you seek to walk through life with Him. This is the great freedom of life in the Kingdom of God a life in relationship with God through Jesus. It's the freedom from our constraining fears to instead learn to walk in God's ways, longing to live with Him, longing to live like Him. Now, at this point, it, it seems that we could leave this all pretty theoretical, couldn't we? We could read a psalm like this, these wonderful word pictures brought to mind, the encouragement to reflect on God and then turn around after church tonight and grab a cuppa and have a chat with people about the weather or the state of the housing market or that exam that you're still hanging out for the result from, gee, that was pretty scary stuff. We could leave this all kind of in the realm of theory or we could actually do what God gathers us together to do and encourage one another in light of what we've heard today. Um... I'd like to suggest just a couple of possible implications that might get some conversations going. Uh, Firstly, uh, for those of us who are parents, I reckon this challenges us. Now, don't switch off if you're not a parent, because you're a kid, and it should be equally challenging. But as parents, I think that we need to acknowledge that so many of our decisions are born of fear. 
I recognise, and I need to be quick to acknowledge, that I've not experienced the parenting through the teen years yet. Uh, Jay's just two. We've got many years to come before we hit high school. And yet working closely with uh, the families of the youth at Trinity City, um, I think I look on and I see many of the the well-intentioned decisions that parents make together with their kids that ultimately reflect fears that are born of the world, not a confidence in Christ. I think some of that can play out in, in the way that families, that parents, that students have this massive pressure applied to succeed academically or, or in music or in sport or, or maybe in all three at once if they're a high achiever. And it seems to me that this is usually born of a hope that success in those fields, well, that, that'll lead to security. And the fear, which is on the flip side, that a failure to succeed means that the future looks bleak. And so I want to think as a parent, and I encourage you, how, how would your decisions be different if you were constantly holding up the decisions for your family, your children, where do they spend their time, how do they spend their weekends... What are the priorities that will shape your life if you held all of those decisions up to that barometer of verse 4, the great longing to live with the Lord because, verse 1, that is where your confidence lies. What if that was the great desire for your child? How would that shape your decisions? that they find their security in life in living with Christ, regardless of whether they get the grades to get into med school or law school or whatever other ambitions you have for them. All right, so that's one possible area. Let me share with you another, a one that's hit home quite personally for me in recent times. It's kind of only fair that uh, I share with you something of how God's Word has hit home for me, so you don't feel like I'm picking out uh, specks in your eye and missing the plank in mine. Um, I, I preached from Psalm 27 about two years ago at Trinity City and God has kept nagging away at me with this as He has challenged me to realise, well, how much I fear the disapproval of others and how that all too easily shapes the things that I, I stress about, get anxious about, seek to find security in. You know, what will they think of my sermon? What will they think of my leadership style? I'm working with young adults, right? What are they going to think of my dress sense? But, you know, whether it's trivial or actually quite deep-seated, God's been challenging me to find my confidence in Him, to keep my eyes fixed on Him, not the scoreboard of public opinion. And in this... He challenges but also encourages me to step forward in, in seeking to keep my feet firmly on His path, not being swayed by the temptation to take the easy route or the popular message or the comfortable option. There might be other things that you guys have been challenged by from God this morning to keep thinking through. Well, as we do... Can I draw our attention to the way David closes this psalm, verse 13 and 14? David does what we need to do more often. 
he preaches to himself. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, David says. Wait for the Lord, he says. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Now, David's the king of Israel, right? There's a pretty good chance that he's, he's preaching this to a whole bunch of other people. His words are written down in psalms that people have sung to encourage one another and they are God's words speaking to us, preaching to all of us. But in the first instance, when this psalm is written, I think this is an example of preaching to ourselves. And that's something we need to do more often because we have all kinds of other voices in our heads talking about the things that would undermine our confidence, the things that we should put our hope and security in and we need to preach to ourselves. Wait for the Lord. This is one final word picture that that David gives us. Because waiting is something you do in the present, anticipating the future. And David says, wait for the Lord, for he is faithful. That's where his confidence lies. But this is exactly what our fears do as well, isn't it? Our fears challenge us in the present with our concerns for the future that is beyond our control, beyond our knowing, perhaps even beyond any influence that we can exercise. And David says no. That's not how to think in the present about the future. Instead, wait for the Lord. Put your hope in Him. Put your trust in Him. This is not a promise that adversity will not come, that hard times will not follow. This is real confidence in the face of real hardship in the real world. but we need to keep preaching to ourselves and to one another where our confidence can lie. And with faith in God, we have nothing to fear. So friends, as we wrap up, can I encourage you over morning tea, lunch today, keep encouraging one another. But one more simple thing. When you stop by the supermarket next, take a detour past the magazine aisle and kind of pause and look at it and just say, God, what are the things that are actually absorbing my attention, the things that are prodding my fears? And then preach to yourself. Wait for the Lord, for He is your light and your salvation and your stronghold. Let's pray. Our loving God and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your incredible faithfulness to us that though we are undeserving, you have reached out to us in love through your Son, our Lord Jesus. We see your mighty rule. We see your incredible mercy. And we see your steadfast love as you draw us to yourself in Him. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to to share David's core longing, that great desire to live with you now and always because we know that that is the one true place that our confidence and security can be found. Father, cast aside our fears as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. 
Help us to spur one another on to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And in all of this, may we remember that you are our light. You are our salvation. You alone are our stronghold and defence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.